Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. I read this and I kind of wanted to weep. George Barna did a survey of American teenagers who go to church. So church-going teenagers were asked, do you believe Jesus is the son of the one true God? 63% of church-going teenagers said no. Do you believe all faiths teach equally valid truths? 58% said yes. Do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? 51% of American church-going teenagers said no. Do you believe absolute truth exists? 70% said no. Do you believe good works can get a person to heaven? 64% said yes. We need to talk on this program about this question. Exactly who is Jesus? Exactly why did he come to earth? Because if you can be saved by being good, which we're not, he could have stayed up in heaven. <laughs> So we, we need to go back to some very basics now. Would you take out your Bible, turn in the New Testament to the book of Matthew, and let's ask the question, exactly who is Jesus? Exactly why did he come to earth? Matthew chapter 1, let's pray first. Father, we pray if there's anyone watching this program who is in confusion over who Jesus is, why he came, God, as we open the Bible, overcome our confusion and bring us to a true knowledge of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to read the birth story of Christ, Matthew chapter 1, reading verse 18. Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Let's stop there. First lesson today read all four of the Gospels. Only two Gospels tell you the story of Christ's birth, Matthew and Luke. If you read Mark and John, you won't find the birth of Christ. So you have to read all four of the Gospels. So don't just flit around and read a verse here or a verse there. Read all the way through the Gospel of Matthew, all the way through Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Read all the way through all of the Bible to get the whole story. <clears throat> Matthew 1.18 Here's how his birth took place. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, sexually that is, she, Mary, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Here's the next lesson. Christians have always believed in the virgin birth, that miraculously Jesus was born of a virgin. Well, sadly, quite a long time ago, the heretical Episcopal Bishop John Shelby Spong spoke in Minneapolis at the very liberal St. Mark's Cathedral in downtown Minneapolis. Bishop John Shelby Spong of the Episcopal Church said this, the bishop, this is from the newspaper, the bishop has now decided that Jesus' mother wasn't a virgin 
To make her a virgin does a disservice to women, says the bishop. The bishop doesn't want Christians to take the Christmas story too literally. Literal interpretations of the Bible make thinking people nuts because they can't balance what they know to be true with the statements in the Bible, the bishop said. By making Mary a pristine, doll-like figure, the church has diminished, has diminished the reality of the woman Mary and thereby has diminished all women. Well, Bishop, you're wrong. <laughs> the Bible teaches the virgin birth of Christ. I'm a Lutheran. I went to a Lutheran seminary, which has become very liberal. I asked a, a, a someone I knew on the faculty years ago, do half of the professors at Luther Seminary in St. Paul still believe in the virgin birth of Christ? His response, oh no, way less than half. Let me tell you why that's a problem. To become a Lutheran pastor, you make a vow to uphold the scriptures and the creeds and the Lutheran confessions. The scriptures, the creeds, and the Lutheran confessions all teach the virgin birth of Christ. So what kind of dishonesty is going on in some of our seminaries these days? Now listen, Christians have always believed in the virgin birth of Christ because it's in the Bible. Now, the question is, why do we believe in the virgin birth of Christ? Why is that important? And follow this, here's the answer. To avoid original sin. I get this from Romans chapter 5, please follow. When Adam and Eve sinned, they passed their sin on to their descendants. Everybody is born infected with sin because of Adam and Eve. So to protect Jesus from becoming a sinner, God supernaturally put Jesus into the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit so he would be a perfect savior and avoid original sin. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put Mary to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly, thinking she had relations with somebody else. But an angel of the Lord, <clears throat> uh, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is, in con is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Here's the next lesson. Dreams can be from God. I mean, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Dreams come from one of three places. God, the devil, or pizza. I've had dreams that were from the devil. Maybe you have too. I've had dreams that were from pizza, just regular life dreams. But I've had a few dreams that I think were from God. All right, but how do you know if a dream is from God or the devil or pizza? Well, you have to test everything against Scripture, against the written Word of God. Remember, the Bible says Satan can appear as an angel of light. Satan can give you a dream and make it look like it's from God. But my point is, check that dream against Scripture. If it contradicts Scripture, no matter how it looks, it's a $3 bill. I shared this before, but let me make the point. <clears throat> Years ago, I'm sleeping in bed, and in my dream, I sat up. and my dead sister Ruthann is floating outside the window. And I said, Ruthann, is Jesus coming soon? Oh yes, Jesus is coming soon. And then she started saying other things that were very unbiblical. And I woke up, and as, as intense and real as that dream seemed, 
I thought to myself, that was a $3 bill. You know, uh, Satan can give you a dream and make it look like it's from God. We need to test everything against Scripture. Verse 21. She will bear a son, says the angel to Joseph, and you shall call his name Jesus. Here's the next lesson. The word Jesus means Jehovah saves. Yeshua, in Hebrew, you shall call his name Yeshua, Jehovah saves. When you say, I believe in Jesus, you're saying, I believe the Old Testament God, Jehovah, saves me. <laughs> and what does he save me from? Look at the next part of the verse, verse 21. You shall call him Jesus, Jehovah save, for he shall save his people from their sins. That is the reason Jesus came to earth, his main mission. Here it is, to save people from their sins. That's why he came to earth. You know, Jesus did not come to save you from financial problems. He didn't come to save you from a bad marriage. He didn't come to save you from cancer or disease. So many prosperity preachers, that's all they preach. That's not why he came. Jesus came to save us from our sins. I mean, there's a certain TV preacher I will not name. He's all about happy, positive thinking. You put that smile on your face, you're going to get to your better job. Jesus is here to make you a success, to make you happy and healthy and heal your lumbago and, and just it's success, happy, happy, happy. No, no, no. The opposite is true. Jesus came to, to earth because we are failures and to save us from our sin. I remember our professor of preaching told us that there was a certain Christian sports agency that was having five evening, uh, less, five evening dinners. And you went to dinner for five nights in a row and you got a different preacher every night. And he went and he said the first four nights is Jesus is here to make you a winner and Jesus will help you win and be a good sportsman. And, and my professor got up on the fifth night and he said, my message tonight is Jesus is for failures. If you're a failure, that's why Jesus came. And he said, a, a woman came up to him and with tears in her eyes and said, you know, I'm so glad you preached. I have a paraplegic son at home and my life is so difficult. And I, the last few nights I felt like killing myself. Thank you for saying Jesus is here for failures. Listen, beware of these prosperity, name it and claim it, health and wealth teachers, Jesus did not come to earth to make you financially successful. He came to earth to save you from your sins. And one more point before we leave this verse. Because he came to save us from our sins, do you still want to live in your sins? Teen Challenge is a wonderful Christian ministry here in the Twin Cities, helping not just teenagers, but young adults, old adults, all kinds of people go through Teen Challenge to get off drugs, to get off alcohol. And if you've ever been to a Teen Challenge concert, it puts a lump in your throat and a tear in your eye as people get up and tell their stories of how they've been saved. I've never heard one of them get up and say, you know, I can't wait for the days when I can go back and be a meth addict and lose my wife and children and eat out of a garbage can. You never hear that. You hear, I am so glad Jesus saved me from my sin. And when somebody says, well, I can still live in my sins and be a Christian, they don't get it. 
The reason Jesus came to earth is to save us from our sins. Now, of course, as Christians, we still sin in thought, word, and deed. So I'm not talking perfection here, but we do talk about direction. Has the direction of your life changed? Are you letting Jesus save you from your sins? Not are you perfect, but has your life direction changed? Not perfection, but direction. Are you, are you being saved from your sins? Then you're a Christian. But if you're living in sin, you're living with your boyfriend, you're living in alcoholism, or you, you fill in the blank. If you're living in impenitent sin, you don't know the Lord. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he now is going to quote Isaiah from 720 B.C. Quote, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So here's the next lesson. Some prophecies have a double fulfillment. Now, please follow this. Concentrate. Matthew is quoting Isaiah chapter 7 there that comes from 730 B.C. King Ahab, Ahaz of Judah is feeling threatened by Damascus and Israel. Isaiah the prophet goes to the king and says, Don't be afraid. God's going to do something wonderful. A young woman will have a baby. Probably talking about his own wife, who was a virgin before she got married. Before that baby is so years old, you're going to be delivered from uh, Damascus and Israel. And we'll call that baby God with us because it'll show that God is with us to give us victory. That all happened. In 722 BC, it, he was, King Ahaz was delivered from his enemies. That child had gotten to be so aged. That, that was fulfilled in 722 BC. But I, Matthew sees in that Old Testament prophecy a double fulfillment that the real baby who will be born out of a real virgin who will save us from our real enemies, the devil, he's going to be born and his name will be God with us, Emmanuel, because he will literally be God with us. And you know, this happens more than once where there's an Old Testament prophecy that is fulfilled in the Old Testament, but it's totally really fulfilled in the New Testament in Christ. Some prophecies have a double fulfillment. Look at verse 23. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now we come to the big question of today's sermon. Who is Jesus? The answer is God with us. Christians believe that Jesus is God. A couple days ago, I'm driving by the Jehovah's Witnesses Kingdom Hall and all these people are coming out of the building to go on their Saturday morning visits door to door, two by two, to teach that Jesus is not God. Jesus is a creature. God the Father created Jesus at a point in time. Jesus is not eternal. He's not equal to the Father and the Spirit. And I just sat in my car. You know what I pray? Lord, may they be influenced upon rather than influencing because the Bible teaches, John chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, Colossians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, John chapter 20. The Bible teaches Jesus is God. Once upon a time, there was a king who lived on the hill. He was an old king, hard for him to move, but the people in his valley still loved him. They remembered him. 
And now and then the king would do something, and he painted a beautiful masterpiece for his people. And the servants took the masterpiece from the castle, walked down the hill, they hung it in the town hall, and the people looked at the beautiful painting, and they remembered they loved their king. Well, sometimes later, the king again wrote a letter to his people, just Dear people, I, I, I'm so, just showing his love for the people. The servants took that letter down the hill, read it in the town square. People cried. It was so beautiful. But then one day, this old king decided, I'm going to go visit my people. So with the servant on his left arm, on his right arm, he slowly walked down the hill, came to the center of town. People lined up. They wept. They shook his hand. They so loved their king and he went back up the hill. Here's what God did. Number one, he painted us a masterpiece. He gave us this beautiful creation in which to live, which tells us of God's love. Second thing he did, he wrote us a letter. It's called the Old Testament, telling us about himself and his love for mankind. But you know what God did in the New Testament? God actually left the hill, came all the way down to earth, got inside a human body for 33 years, walked among us, and then he went back. Christians believe what the Bible teaches, Jesus is God with us. Last lesson is verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not sexually, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Here's the last lesson today. Let God correct your confusion. Joseph is confused. Mary's pregnant. I didn't do this. What's going on here? God gave him a dream and corrected his confusion. Let God correct your confusion. And what I mean by that, now this is a survey not of teenage Christians. This is a survey of elderly Christian people. According to that, that survey, a large percent percentage do not believe absolute truth exists anymore. A large percentage don't believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. These are old Christians. So what's going on here? You know what I think's going on? They're watching television. They're not, letting, they're not reading their Bible and letting God correct their confusion. They're watching TV. My mom died 12 years ago. My mom was a Missouri Synod Lutheran. You don't get more conservative than that. And in her later years, I'd go home and... Mom and I had talked, and she'd have some kind of funny, unbiblical beliefs. And, Mom, where are you getting that? And, you know, I think I know where she was getting it. Oprah and The View. <laughs> Listen, if you watch TV, especially, everybody needs to do this, but especially if you watch TV, read your Bible every day and let God correct your confusion. That's who Jesus is. He's God who came to earth to correct our confusion. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, what is the best answer that a person can give to the question of who is Jesus? You, know, you, you can, said right. Jesus is this, Jesus yeah. is You can that. say all kinds of stuff. He's the Savior. He's our Redeemer. He's the prophet. He's the Messiah prophesied. But bottom line, the big thing I say, Jackie, if somebody says, who is Jesus? The answer is, he is fully God and he is fully man. 
Christians believe Jesus is fully God and fully man. I think that's the best nutshell answer to who Jesus is. You can make it a little more, you can say there's one God in three persons, the Trinity, and he's the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity. He's equal with the Father and the Spirit, and you need to get into all that too, but nutshell, he's fully God and fully man. Okay. How do we know that he was truly human, though? Okay. You know, there was an early, in the early history of the church, there were these heretics called docetists. Dakeo in Greek means to seem like. They taught the opposite heresy that the Jehovah's Witness teach. They, they believed Jesus was God. They just didn't think he was a man. He seemed like a man. He looked like a man. But we know God wouldn't really take on a human body. The early church said that's a heresy because if Jesus didn't really become a man, he didn't pay for man's sins. So the early church maintained he's fully man and fully God. All right, so how do we know he's a man? Because you read the Gospels. Everything a man does, he did. He slept, he wept, he uh, um, uh, ate, and, and everything. The only difference between Jesus and us, and it's huge, <laughs> he never sinned, but he was fully human. So just because of all the stuff that Jesus did, we know he was, it says he took on flesh and blood. Well, that means he's human. Okay. What do the cults believe about Jesus? The cults always play with the Trinity. And let me explain this. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you the Trinity, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Therefore, why, why are you believing it? And my response is, you're right. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. The concept of the Trinity, one God and three persons, you can find that in the first paragraph of the Bible of creation, and it goes all the way through the end. Remember, the last words Jesus said on earth, Matthew 28, go therefore and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't say names plural, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He said names singular, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, one, per, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Cults always play with that. Jehovah's Witnesses reject that Jesus is God. Mormons believe in thousands of gods. So when you see some group playing with the Trinity, you know there's an issue going on. Okay. Um, are there other examples of double fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies? Yeah, uh, uh, there are. I mean, there's a number of them. I mean, for instance, in... Uh, one of the prophecies, uh, you remember when Jesus had to go to Egypt when he was a baby to get away from Herod, and then he was able to come back, and, and the gospel says, this was to fulfill the, old, the prophecy, out of Egypt I called my son. Well, if you go to the Old Testament and look at that prophecy, it's talking about Jesus getting, um, God getting the J Jews out of Egypt, and he calls them his son. <coughs> so the initial fulfillment of that prophecy was when God saved the Jews from Egypt, but the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy is when God brought Christ out of, out of Egypt uh, to, back to home. So that goes on a few times in the New Testament. Okay, you talked about dreams. How does a person know if a dream is from God or the devil mm -hmm. or, as you said, pizza? Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. mean, how do you distinguish yep. or is yep. there a way to distinguish? Well, Here's the deal. If, let's say that you have a dream that says, Jackie, you and your husband Fred are to move to California. Well, you're not going to find a Bible verse that tells you whether that's true or not. So some of it gets awfully touchy, so you've got to bounce that off of other Christians you respect. What do you think of this dream? The Bible says in an abundance of counselors there's victory, so get some counsel. But 
Jackie, if you have a, Fred that's a, a dream that says, Fred is to quit being our director and start being a Playboy photographer, wait a minute! <laughs> that's a pretty clear violation of scripture. Uh, so you, you just, when something is clearly unscriptural, then you know that's a $3 bill, even if it looked like it was from God. Again, Corinthians says Satan can appear like an angel of light. So, Pastor Brock, are there any Christian denominations that deny the virgin birth of Christ? Of Christ. Well, they're not supposed to. If, uh, we're, we're talking Lutherans, Episcopalians, Baptist, the Catholic Church, of course, believes in the virgin birth. Uh, all the denominations have... But some denominations have gone so liberal. The ELCA Lutheran Church that we left years ago, uh, we have professors and, and pro pastors that do not believe in the virgin birth of Christ. United Church of Christ is the most liberal of all the Protestant denominations. You might have a, a bit of a chore finding some UCC pastors that believe in the virgin birth. So technically, historically, everybody in the Christian church believes in the, in the virgin birth. Sadly, things have become very heretical these days. So does that mean that our seminaries and colleges that supposedly are Christian are no longer teaching biblically? Yeah, I went to a seminary where the virgin birth of Christ was questioned. And Jackie, I, I, I uh, was ordained way back in 1979. <coughs> it's gotten worse. So you've got to be very careful where you go to seminary these days. Yeah. Pastor Brock, where did original sin come from? Mm -hmm. I mean, the... Yeah. People don't know what that phrase means. Original sin simply means we're all born sinful because of the original sin that happened way back when Adam and Eve transgressed in the garden. So we're all born... You know, you're not born an innocent, pure, 100% perfect. Little babies, one-year-olds, two-year-olds can sin. <laughs> and, and we're born with sin, which is why... You know, we need to be saved from sin even early on, which is why a lot of churches baptize babies, because we need to be saved from sin. Okay, but baptism alone isn't enough to save you from sin. Well, the, yeah, I, Hitler was baptized. Stalin was baptized. We don't think they made it. And you need to be baptized and believe in Christ to be saved. Yeah. Okay, one last question. Why were there four Gospels written mm -hmm. instead of just one? I mean, right. and like, they and you know, differ a little. Like Matthew, his audience was the Jews. Luke, his audience was a, a Roman official by the name of Theophilus. Uh, Mark had an audience, John had an audience. These are four different men. Remember, Mark was not an apostle. He was the secretary of Peter, according to early church history. Matthew was an apostle. Luke was not an apostle. He was a doctor who was a traveling companion of Paul who did all the research. Then John was an apostle. So only two of the four Gospels are written by apostles. The others are written by associates of the apostles. They give four different stories, some filling in details that the others didn't because they had four different audiences. Okay, yep. that's interesting. Thanks for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you, granting you his richest blessings until we're again, together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.